Hey, I'm Fuzz. I'm Joel. Welcome to Fags and Fendi. And we're here to talk about life, relationships, and what it is to be a queer person of color in Australia. He said it all. Welcome back to the podcast. We're so happy to have you joining our table again. We are the Fags in Fendi. How are you, Joe? I'm very good. Oh, Welcome well, you're back looking. to episode two. I was just about to read you then, but then I thought maybe <laughs> I won't. People can see you so they I can read, read you for you. themselves, darling. I mean, someone was fucking late, so I had to get the coffee. <laughs> so I don't think you should read anybody cunning. Uh, look, I'm glad that we're having coffee today as opposed to alcohol. And that's okay. <laughs> you know what? I think that balance in life is very important. <laughs> I much rather alcohol, but it's fine. We'll make do with coffee. <laughs> anyway. Honey, 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 tell me something. So Queen Bee is about to release a new album on the 29th of July, which happens to be my birthday. So it's like a personal birthday gift so to me. So all our listeners, you know, you won't hear the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like all y'all need to just like acknowledge the fact that Beyonce has released an album just for me. I was listening to Break My Soul. I'm sure all our listeners who are Beyonce audiences and Beyonce followers, I don't know how many times I've mentioned this to you and my friends. I've been waiting for a Beyonce album throughout COVID. I felt like I needed a reset to my soul and I felt like only Queen Bee could bring that in. And can I just say that she has reset the world with Break My Soul. It is such a moment and a cultural moment and it was particularly... It was particularly important because she released it at such an important time in human history, but also in queer history. She released it during Pride Month. I mean, the fact that this opening of that song freaking feels like it's pulled inspiration from the ballroom. Mm. So I was sold. Um, I was on the way here. I was listening to Break My Soul again. One month later, I'm still listening to it, still hyping (laughs) me up. (laughs) I I love that Big Frida is such a big part of this song. And I think that like it's another way in which artists are honoring queer culture which is something honestly that we need to talk about we need to talk about culture because and the intersectionality of queer culture and our own as people of color but before that how about beyonce announcing her old album coming up just by wiping her profile picture (laughs) that needs that needs a moment like seriously who else can do that she literally wiped her her profile picture from twitter and then instagram and literally the media went a buzz saying new albums coming yeah can can anyone else do that i mean no don't we, say we, anyone else. Don't say Mariah because we have a big I, Mariah you know fan. I'm going to say that like Mariah Carey did something. However, her also, big energy live. At BET yeah. when she showed up as yeah. this it icon and she walked out in that gorgeous gown. I was like, ah, all these icons coming out to I give the queer community life. I love her. It's life, my goodness. Um, the thing that they both have in common, of course, they're both queer icons and they're both women of color and they are beautiful and have the most perfect hair. In the I mean, they world. just have to show up and do things. 30 seconds a song and they put all the fucking younger generations to shame. Sorry. Like, honestly, I don't even think, but there's nobody like them. And this is what I keep saying is like, as millennials, we were very, very fortunate to grow up in a time of great artists of, uh, you know, sort of like, it was like, it was like the highlight of pop culture, really, you know, the nineties, the early two thousands. You just had, even the late 80s, you had this like real sort of moment where people were creating and becoming sort of these really major stars because it was harder back then. I mean, it was like you didn't have YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or Twitter. You just had to put yourself out there. And that's why I have like the greatest respect for people also like Madonna. 
Yeah. You, you know, the greatest respect for people, you know, and it, it was like they were doing things at the time that were counterculture. They were doing things at the time that people didn't want to do. When Madonna, for example, speaking of the greats, oh. released Vogue, you know, Nobody cared about the ballroom community. Nobody cared about like queer black and brown people who are often poor and discarded by society. You know, in some cases dying of HIV during the pandemic, like no one cared that they existed. But here was this cultural phenomenon, the biggest star in the world deciding, I see you and I'm going to give you a place and your your culture is going to, and, you know, it's going to expand and it's going to create this movement. And today we have RuPaul's Drag Race. We have Legendary as a show. You know, all of a sudden, queer culture, How drag interesting culture was it in changed. the Pose series when Vogue came out and they showed the excitement in the ballroom. Yeah. When they was like, oh my God, we're finally going to be recognized and yeah. we're finally going to see it. So... That was really exciting to see. But, you know, they've all paved the way. Like we said, it's paving the way. And I like Madonna. I mean, she's Madonna. But it's so good to see how they keep reinventing themselves as well. Like, yeah. I think that's the power that they all have is they kind of like they breed culture. And like even Beyonce, when she dropped the Savage track, she just literally came in, did a little lines here and there. And then boom, reinvented themselves for Gen Z. Actually, this is really funny because I was talking to um, my staff. They're all Gen Z. <laughs> they always remind me. You all are loved and supported. I know, but they remind me I'm not Gen Z anymore. I'm a different generation. So are you. Are you two or one generation above I me? I am a millennial. Don't you and then <laughs> I said that I grew up with Beyonce crazy in love and the Rihanna days and the what's my name and the, you know, all those releases when dancing was dancing in the club. And they're like, what's crazy in love? Jones. <laughs> and I'm just that, like. They did not say that to you. I was like. They did not say that you to you. You need to follow Fags and Fendi on Instagram. Wait, hang on. Wait, wait. Like they actually said that to yes, you? Yes, they did. Oh my God, yes, I can't because I this. forget. No, like you talk, ab you talk about done. it, don't leave. I'm we finished. need to finish this. <laughs> no, Why even bother? Now I'm apparently old as well. I mean, you know. So I'm always reminded. But you know what? I wouldn't change a thing. Those were the days to be in the club. Beyonce and we had Rihanna pumping. And then we came up with like we just hits after hits and now it just feels like everything's very 30 second tiktok vibes mm. so like we miss those long song days and that's what i'm very excited about beyonce's new album well that's the thing that i'm so excited well i was so excited by when break my soul came out it was like a major i'm so sorry but a major fuck you <laughs> to the gen z generation who are so obsessed with this you. idea <laughs> of like but like i mean you know we can learn from each other and i learn a lot from gen z people i love how brave people are in that generation. I love how expressive they are. It encourages me to be more expressive. But you know, y'all gotta learn something from us too. And I gotta say like, <laughs> one of those things is that is you can create a body of work that isn't for TikTok. It can just be something to jam out to, something to close your eyes to, something to remember a time to. Um, and yeah. again, like releasing it during Pride Month, it's really important, particularly for Gen Z queer people. It's like, we gotta remember, where our collective culture has come from, you know? I'm wearing today, for example, in honor of Pride Month, this is an Adidas collaboration with a local Sydney artist um, inspired by Stonewall. So the markings of Stonewall at the time and a particular time that sort of started our entire movement. Without the stone, if if you're listening to this and you don't know what Stonewall is, you got to Google it. This, you know, the Stonewall riots in New York were the beginning of change for us as queer people. Had it not happened and had not, you know, 
a lot of queer people of color at the time, along with other queer people, but in particular, drag queens um, and people who would then or later identify as trans. Had they not stepped forward to fight the police, perhaps we would not even be sitting here making this podcast, which is why it's important to acknowledge it, acknowledge the fact that queer culture is a real thing. It exists. It's a, it's a thing that we created ourselves because we had nowhere else to go. Because very often when our own cultures rejected us in some way or another, we had to go and find community somewhere else. Because what is culture? Culture is the expression of a community. So myself as, as, a, as a Fijian person, um, you as a Malaysian person, somebody else as an African-American person, somebody else as a Caribbean person, Whoever you might be, someone else is a Middle Eastern person, is a Lebanese person or a Syrian person, whoever you might be, at some point when your culture tells you, because, you know, as, particularly as migrants to countries, like when you migrate to a place like Australia, for example, your family tells you there's one path for you. And that path is you got to study hard, you got to get a good job, you got to support yourself and you got to survive because that was the means by which many migrant families arrived in this country. It's like, okay, we're here because we want a better life. We want to survive. In that, in that sort of spectrum of thought, there's no room to think, well, what does survival look like? You know, it's not just financial. Survival is also just being able to express yourself fully, right? So that's why... When you're queer, you find a community and you adopt elements of that culture. It's why well, we talk the way we talk. Speaking of that, like when you bring that up, we are <laughs> very um, glad with the response that we got from the first um, episode that we released. Oh, yeah. um, because, you know, we can talk. We forgot to acknowledge that. And we, we were kind of bombarded with a lot of emails and kind of like friends that we had our listening parties for. And we were so excited to see a lot of the response being very positive, um, especially with relatability, because this is what it was about. It was all about let's create conversations. And the moment we decided to open up and share our story, um, you know, particular emails about, um, oh my God, I didn't know that you tried to kill myself. I, I tried mm. to do that as well, which is very common. We said that in the first episode. So it was really good to see we see you all our audience and all our listeners. It was really good to see um, these conversations are having an impact in your life. Mm. And we want to continue to do that. And that's why today we really want to home in a little bit more on culture and how we grew up. Um, we thought, you know, why not delve a little bit more into who we are? Um, and speaking of that, though, um, you're going back to Fiji shortly. I am. How does that make you feel? I am. It makes me feel good. Because um, I think that segues into childhood. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being an arranger. You're rubbish. <laughs> Although I, we've had a huge weekend. Like, oh, God. I feel yeah. like we're running on adrenaline at this I'm moment. I'm running on fumes. <laughs> it's not even adrenaline anymore. It's just pure fumes, darling. Oh, my God. I feel like I've gone mad. Okay, but before he flies to Fiji, he needs to talk about the tattoo he just God <laughs> and this follows segues from episode one you to are obsession. Jumping all over the place. <laughs> I tell you what, this is like okay. Look, we talked about heart stopper. We got tattoos okay. over the weekend, by the way. I, we got tattoos over the weekend, More. you know, because we felt like it was a good thing to do for recovery. Yes, um, and as you all do after a big night. It, look, it, it is what it is. Um, I got the leaves from Heartstopper because. 
it like it's again it's a it's a cultural moment. This is what I'm talking about culture for. So <laughs> it's it's a it's a moment, and I think that um, it's interesting that we you know we're doing this podcast at this particular time because we want to be part of a cultural conversation, yes. um, and we want to make sure that our voices are represented within that conversation. Otherwise, we can be forgotten. But I got the tattoo because. Um, I got the leaves. So if y'all, okay, it's not just a Netflix series. It's also a series of graphic novels, which I've been reading. And I think they're really cute. You got all four books. I got yes, there's four books. <laughs> <laughs> so he ordered some books and then they were going to take a long time to arrive. So he express bought some more. Because I needed to read that. So have the later ones happening. arrived or not? No, they haven't yet. They're still on their way from the States. They're I'm coming very July. happy for you, but I just want to say this settles who's obsessed <laughs> with Hotstepper. <laughs> I am, and, and I'll tell I'm you what. I'm giving you a... <laughs> <laughs> Yuck. I'll tell you what, though. Like, the leaves, the leaves that sort of, like, connect the story of Hotstepper remind me of... And again, I suppose this is a conversation leading to innocence um, and to childhood. The leaves sort of like connect the story. There's sort of this continuous motif throughout the graphic novels, which then of course also appear in the Netflix series, Hot Sopper. Um, and they always show up to denote an emotion, usually a very, very innocent emotion or, or, a be- or like a very beautiful thought or a moment. Um, and, you know, the graphic novel, for example, it covers things very beautifully. Very often queer culture is is sort of expressed as one thing, which is like a sex-driven, sex, you know, crazed, drunken, party-party culture. But we're just normal people sitting mm. here just like this who have a lot of fears and thoughts and things. And, um, and there was a moment in the third novel when <laughs> Nick and Charlie are talking about... about far, but okay. They're talking about um, having sex, Right. And Nick says to Charlie, I'm not ready for that yet. It was it was a beautiful thing to read because very often it's not something that that we read about I queer Charlie people. Charlie would have said that to Nick. I mean, well, wow. this is the thing. Yeah. I, I suppose it's because we're conditioned to think that like, oh, Nick's a big, strong guy. Of course, he's going to. Yeah. But that's why it was particularly beautiful because, again, it's just an expression of of an innocence that we don't get to experience. We don't get to lie down with our boyfriends necessarily. I mean, now people do, but we didn't. Um, Did you find the books were significantly different than the um, series the books on are, the TV? The books are, are, are somewhat different, not significantly, um, but but they are somewhat different. All, all y'all just got to go read it. Um, but I remember when, um, so I, I am going back to Fiji, which is great. I'm not going back for very long, but I want to go see my partner and my dog and, you know, all those things um, and my family, of course. But I think that, you know, when I go back, it's very interesting. When I first left, um, I was always cognizant of the fact that I was queer. But I think that I've mentioned this to you before, any relationship that was ever had that was not not sort of like the standard heterosexual, um, cisgendered sort of normative relationship was just automatic, automatically assumed to be something that you could not talk about. So even if you had, uh, even if you had a relationship with somebody, even if you did sort of, um, you know, have like a little whatever, a crush or something that was reciprocated, and even if you both acknowledged that and, you know, fooled around, the reality was that you knew that this was never going to be a 
conversation. So it was never something that you would be like, oh, this is my this is my boyfriend, or if I was a female, this is my girlfriend, or this is my partner, or whatever. Like it was always just like, oh no, 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 that that's not a thing. And it wasn't even conscious. And that's the thing that I think about now. Because, you know, until recently, I think, and I'm about to turn 28 so. <laughs> <I was laughs> for it. somewhere there um but i think until recently i let you know in the third episode the real ages. <laughs> i think that like i always thought oh no it was fine my childhood was great you know i was you know i was you know people knew people knew but i never said it and i think that that's the interesting thing about you know about examining queer culture and but the way how that did it's you evolved. grow up in you know let's describe your school days where you like you know, Nick, were you the popular kid? Were you the Charlie? I mean, were yeah, you the like, one that was bullied? Well, or? this is the thing that that's that this is why I've sort of had this sort of clash in life is that like when I was in school, I was I was quite popular and I was um, and I hate those sort of terms now. But yeah, you know, like I, I suppose I, I, I always took a leadership role in things. So I always stepped forward. So like I, I mean, you know, I hated sport, couldn't stand it. It was so gross. But I was house <laughs> captain. Like, oh. yeah, I like I I had no interest in it whatsoever. I never did anything. Most of the time I was basically like the cheerleader, yeah. <laughs> but I was, but I was house captain. So these are sort of the things that kept happening. And I kept being recognized in this way as being this person who was a leader that people would come to. Um, I was also a bit of a rebel. You know, I got suspended like five times. <laughs> I almost got expelled once for all sorts of things from selling alcohol to gambling. Oh, jeez. Um, but... <laughs> Do we want to get into that today? <laughs> but like, the thing is that like, I was just operating as, as a human being, not really being, because we didn't, I grew up, you got to understand, I grew up in the third world. I grew up in the developing world. I grew up in a space that was quite small. We didn't have large communities of people that we could access. And very often the communities were presented as one particular thing. And queer culture was not presented to me in such a way as as a place that perhaps even I could find myself in my being. So I was sort of like in this tug of war that I didn't even recognize as a child between who I was as a queer person and my culture that I grew up in. As a Fijian, my parents are Muslim. Um, you know, it it just it was a very, very particular space where I was, I was doing the things necessary to move along as a human being. And I was by all accounts, I suppose, happy, but I think also I was just surviving. And it comes back to that idea of survival. But having said that you were surviving, but did you have inner tug of wars in yourself where you were like, yes, I'm going through the motions, I'm trying to survive. However, what was happening inside? Were well, you like, oh shit, I am I, I think may that, be queer. So, I may be Well, see, this is the to... thing. Like, I I you know, you're you're always kind of aware of your queerness, I think. Like, well, most people, I know that some for some people it happens at a different time. You're always aware of your queerness and you're aware of the fact that you're different. You're aware yeah. of the fact that you're not it's attracted you to females. To and, it. Like the thing was, and this is the thing that I find so difficult now in my adult life to sort of unpack and unravel is that there is no cut and dry answer to this. Like I, I cannot tell you that I had, a, that I had an internal struggle and that, I, that it was hard for me and that by all accounts, I was fine. But as an adult, looking back, I realized that there was just a lot of stuff that I, that I missed out on because I was just trained by my 
birth culture to understand that these were not possibilities. And because they were not possibilities, also as people of color, you don't push back. You accept it. We're, we're very, we, you know, we acquiesce a lot in our cultures. We accept a lot because we think this is what our ancestors have done, you know? This is what, I come from an ancestry of slaves. This is what they sacrificed for. So therefore, I will do this because this is what you do. Was there a time when you thought that due to culture, or birth culture, did you think at one point, I may never be able to come out and I'm fine with that? No, like this is like, it was ne like, it was not even a thought. And I think that that's even more traumatic. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because like now when I think about it, now I realize that was fucked up. <laughs> At the time it was like, it's fine, this is fine, everything's fine. It is. You know, and then you like think about that. But like I've had a complete up. like it's good. You're sharing your story because I've got the complete opposite. Well, this is the thing though. Like, okay, you know, it's just I think that we all have unique experiences and that's what's interesting about this discussion and this like sort of intersectionality of cultures, which is queer and which is this. I mean, I really only stepped into queer culture in my 20s, but I know that you had a unique experience. Oh, well, deep voice. There. Tell me about it. <laughs> I know much of the stories, but let's share with let's our audience share. the things that you have. You know, you have done. to realize all the listeners that we don't really unpack these things a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> These tables become like therapy session. This so, is definitely therapy. Yeah. That's why we started the podcast to therapy. Actually, actually, I was sharing this with my friend Abby. This is a shout out to you. <laughs> I was telling her yesterday and about the podcast, and she was there. She was part of our shoot, and she was mentioning to me, "Did you know that you don't talk a lot about these things?" And I feel like after Abby's met us a few times, and um, Abby's mentioned that you know he seems exactly the same. He doesn't share a lot of kind of like his feelings and his experience with the the pain and kind of like things that we just shove and yeah. we just move along with it and she was like did you know you're doing this for listeners yes but you're actually doing this as therapy for yourself and then that I was bitch like is wise. I was like <laughs> bitch I used to mentor you and now you're giving me advice but that was a light bulb moment that is very true and it's really good to share these stories again as a way to um, motivate and inspire others but in a way when we are talking and sharing we're also kind of like healing yeah. ourselves because like Faz said, we 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 just go get along with it. Like that's the culture. We're raised to be, you know what, this has happened. Oh shit, I'm struggling with it, but we need to survive. We need to move on and we just need to get on with it. You know, get on with it. It's like my culture's kind of slogan. And and no way was I able to pause and say, oh my God, how is my mental health today? I think my grandmother would have been like, what the fuck? Mental health, what's that? Yeah. Um, so that's how we raised. And I think in terms of the difference, when I mentioned kind of my experience, my experience was I was not popular. And as much as we want to say, you know, we hope that it's not true today. We hope that everyone has a place today as you're growing up. But again, that's something that I missed out on. I felt like I was the Charlie. I was the kind of like bullied and I was, um, I had vitiligo, so you can see the spots on my skin. I wear this very proudly today because of people that have gone before me. Again, people like Winnie Harlow and all these models that make it so cool today. It's, it's cool today, yes. It's cool to have vitiligo. I'm proud to show it and all that. But growing up as a kid and when I was a teenager, I used to have it around my eyes and people used to call me panda. <laughs> and 
Actually, the story is really funny. <laughs> Fans is smiling. Can you pan him, zoom in on that face? Because he called me. <laughs> he did call me. We went IKEA and he picked up this panda teddy bear. I didn't bear. mean it like that. No, he did it. He did it. He didn't mean it like that. I just, you know, went there. I just couldn't help myself. You know. You know what? And the Sometimes thing is, he just got a sass. He a has bit. never let me forget the fact <laughs> that I called him a panda, and I was like. <laughs> this is awkward. <laughs> Whenever I wanted to shut the bitch up, I just said, "Are you trying to call me panda?" <laughs> I don't think so. So that was my experience. My experience was someone who was bullied. I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. I couldn't turn to anyone in school as well because I didn't feel like I could find the. Everyone was so secretive, even though they were queer. It was just not open. No one was open. Um, I didn't feel like anyone else was struggling like me. I just couldn't identify or feel any representation. And it's really interesting. We we talk about this a lot. You know, um, I follow Viola Davis a lot. I've bought her book Finding Me, and and she harps on and talks about representation so much, visual representation, and being able to see yourself in people and where you know and feel like that's accessible. I can be that too. And um, I didn't feel that because, you know, back when we didn't have Google search, we had to connect to the internet. It took one hour for that fucking soundy. Oh my God, do you remember it? Oh fucking, my God. And the soundy yeah. picks up the phone and it goes off. Yeah, then it goes off. So, you know, those are the age that we were growing up in. So our resources were quite small and limited. And so I was bullied. I had vitiligo. I, I, I was a fat kid. I felt ugly. I just, it was kind of like when I look back, it's how I felt about myself. It was not so much what everyone else was doing. It was just what I felt. I think back a lot now. Being in my 30s, I kind of like do a lot of reflections as well. Kind of like, I don't know whether there's like aging. Is it normal for you guys? You tell us. <laughs> I do a lot of fucking flashbacks and a lot of like, oh shit, remember that time? Remember that time? And um, yeah, I, I think a lot about those times and I think, you know, would I have done things differently or could I have shared with my parents? Was it an environment that I could have or was it just me kind of holding back? But it was the weight of the culture. It was the weight of the expectations. It's the weight of society, being born in Malaysia, um, you know, feeling the weight of shit, I'm going to let my family down. You have to realize I've grown up in a, in a Indian, I'm, an, I'm Indian, I was born in Malaysia. Um, so immediately you have the Malaysian culture, you have the Indian culture, and then you have all these expectations. It's a Muslim country. So it's kind of like, you know, I was ambassador of oppression, really, kind of <laughs> like from every angle. But if you, if I look back, I was raised very openly. I was very close to my family. I've had my sister and brother along my side, and we grew up with a lot of cousins. We surrounded by cousins every weekend. I've got like 100 cousins. Um, we're close to every single auntie. And if it's a birthday, all your cousins are surrounding you. You're cutting your cake. So it's not that I was segregated and I didn't, I was not grown as a kind of like the only kid kind of like being shied away from everyone. We grow up in these surroundings, but it's just the expectations of everyone thrown on you. And this feeling that, oh my God, if I even, if I even ask this question, I'm going to let my parents down. I'm going to let society down. I'm going to let the whole culture down. I remember going for a wedding very early on as a young kid and you know Indian weddings I mean fuck me the whole fucking village is there for even a 21st birthday the whole fucking <laughs> village is there it's like thousand people and I remember um, seeing this this guy who was very clearly queer um, and he was very proudly kind of like um, being queer he was very proud 
But the way the family spoke about him was, when I look back at it, it's disgusting. Like, I wish I could have had the courage being a young kid to stand up and be like, that is not what you say about that guy. He's so proud to be who he is. But the way, this is just normal. It's just a reflection of kind of like the whispers that was going on, the fucking Indian aunties, they're all gossip ladies, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> they're all talking about this guy. And and that was just how I was raised. And it was kind of like the culture. I think, um, I th and I think that that's very interesting because of the way that words from the culture inform you and, and the way that you operate. I remember sort of when I was older and I started to cross this divide um, between my, my culture of birth and, and queerness and what queer culture looked like. And you start to create community. And at this stage, you know, I had just moved back to Fiji for a while from Australia. Um, <clears throat> and I was about, I think I was 28. Um, and... 28 or 27. And when I moved back, I remember, you know, I, I decided having lived in Australia for some time, and Australia has its own set of problems. But having said that, living in Sydney allows you to, to form community and allows you access to elements of culture. There are major problems in queer culture as well, as there are in all cultures. But still, it's a place of acceptance and a place of sort of expressing itself uniquely. But when I moved back to Fiji, I decided, you know, we need to create community it's important you know so um you know i i put on that that hat again of leadership and started to bring people together and i always remember this one moment when it comes to my family being my 20s and i think that this might have been somewhat traumatic um and by then i'd already been with my partner for about eight years uh, my partner and i um we got together we, we went to high school together but we started being together when we were 20. Long 15 years God. It's been a long time, bitch. Um, but he's a very, very good man. Far better than I am. Um, but I remember he, uh, I remember eight years into our relationship and I went and I sat with my aunt. I went to visit her. She's quite, she's quite lovely. Um, and I, and I enjoyed visiting her. She's my mother's older sister. My mother has 12 siblings. You know, there's 13 of them all together. It's a very, very big family. It always is. Um, and then my aunt sort of was, you know, we were having tea and laughing or whatever. And as I was enjoying that. And then she said, oh, my friend saw you sitting at a table at this cafe called Palm Court, um, sitting at Palm Court. And she said that you were sitting with, you know, some very different people. <laughs> and I, like in that moment, I, I kind of didn't know how to respond because I knew what she was referring to. And I knew what day she was referring to. I also thought, you're a dumb bitch, why are you calling my aunt? I hope, <laughs> just fuck off and die. Um, but <clears throat> she, um, and then she was like, Did she ask the famous Indian question? How is your friend? No, no, no. In, <laughs> Fijians are Fijians are very we're a lot more subtle. So like we, we there's ways around it because shame is a big part of our culture as island people. And I think that I think in that moment, reflecting back that perhaps that's what my aunt was doing to me. And I think that I did feel a bit of shame, which is really sad. Like when I think about it now. Yeah. But I remember she just said, um, that her friend had insinuated that I might be queer or well, that I was gay or, you know, her words, pufta, right? Um, and then my aunt said, and I just told her, no, 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 no. Buzz is completely normal. And so, you know, this idea of there being sort of a base culture of normal. normal as opposed to these sort of subcultures, you know? And I don't think that I don't think that that's the way to look at queer culture. Like queer culture is a culture and there is an intersectionality between the culture that you are born into and the culture that you adopt as a queer person. Yeah. But we have to always acknowledge the fact that queer culture exists as a means for us to survive and to thrive. 
for us to find our voice in a place where it cannot be spoken in our own culture. And then we need to take this part of the culture that we learn as usually adolescents and adults and feed it back into the culture that we've come from because there has to be cultural conversation. This idea that like there's one or the other and there's a strict border between the two is a lie. It's a myth that we tell ourselves. The reality is, is that we have power and authority to be able to just be like, no. Nah. Yeah. But look, the queer culture side of things is beautiful because it helps us find a place to belong once we've accepted ourselves. And that's what my turnaround of my story is, is it was not till I turned 19. I had been through kind of like this bullying stage and the stages of um, feeling like I'm inadequate. I felt that myself. I told that myself and I fed that to myself every night. And it reached the point where I tried to kill myself. And I think I told you this before. I, I literally mixed rat poison into my drink and I was ready that night. I had a drink and I just was like ready. Okay, that's it. You know, I'm just going to face what happens. If I'm dead, I'm dead. I don't even need to kind of face the consequence. Um, I actually, it's really funny because I didn't tell my parents this on, and I didn't tell my parents this till 10 years later. So they didn't know the whole time as this happened. And I did that. And it was very representative of every queer person who would have one stage or the other asked themselves, I, you know, like, am I ready to face all the things that I'm going to face? Because like we said in episode one, it takes bravery. There's a moment when you're going to have to ask yourself, am I going to accept myself? And then from then on, am I going to love myself? And am I going to then just be unabashedly me? And that was when, well, I took the route of trying to kill myself. I drank that rat poison and I woke up the next morning with not even a single hint of pain. I thought at least I'm going to have diarrhea. I mean, I fucking drank rat poison <laughs> and I didn't feel any single Third thing. Third world stomachs, darling. I they know. can take over. <laughs> I know. It's the Hawker Street food. So maybe I've been eating rat poison by Hawker Street food already. But anyway, I didn't feel anything. And I just took that moment as my turnaround. And that's when I decided to see God. I decided to see my religion come to fore to say, God telling me that you have a bigger purpose. And it's not you. No one else is going to change it for you. You're fat. You're this. You have vitiligo. See a doctor for your vitiligo. Get the advice you need. You're fat. Go to the gym. Get up. Don't be lazy. Change that for yourself. In the end, it was about, am I going to accept myself and love myself? I said, yes. I am going to change. I am going to accept my purpose, whatever it may be. I always knew from a very young age, and I told you this. I always felt like I had a bigger purpose. It was just that feeling, and I always told my mom this as well. For some reason, I don't know what it was. I just kept telling her there's a bigger purpose, and she kept saying yes, there is. Yes, there is. Like she was convinced, and I just felt from then moment on things just started to turn around. From when I decided to accept myself. I went to the gym, I started doing things, I started to um, open up to my friends. I had really close friends. And what's really funny is I've always had queer friends. When I look back, we just never came out in school in Malaysia. Like I said, just because we never had that platform. It was not till I moved to Perth in my high school days in WA 
that I felt like, okay, this is a new leaf. This is a new turnaround. I can finally maybe start to slowly come out and start to tell one person. One person became two person. Then it became three. The confidence grew from there. But it really started from, my, from me asking me, are you going to accept yourself and are you going to love yourself? I never used to be this person who is loud, who is um, vocal. And, and God, I own a fucking suit store and I talk to straight men. That idea of talking to straight men, in my childhood days, I couldn't do that. I was scared because I, I was scared of being bullied and I was scared of kind of like, oh, if I move my hand gesture this way, they might think I'm gay and then be bullied. Now that's 99% of my clientele. And I'm like, oh man, straight boys are easy. They're so visual. Just show them what they can look like in suits and boom, you sell, <laughs> <laughs> you sell to them. It's a queer guys that are hard. But um, out of my story, I just want you to know that was my experience. My experience was till I accepted myself and I kind of like went on with it and slowly shared my story. So I think that's important. Um, as much as we joke about not sharing and stuff, we have shared these things to each other. And that's the beauty of the queer culture. Finally, when we find people that we belong with and we're able to share our stories, own our stories, and then stand up here, it's beautiful. I think so as well. I think that you, you know, that story is quite, it, it's, it's, it's a strong story because it tells the story of many, many queer people. It tells a story also, even if, even if a queer person has not necessarily been driven to the point of wanting to, to not exist or to not be alive, I think that we all at some point consider our existence to be an inconvenience. And, you know, you do think sometimes, not now, not, not at my age, not here, but there's definitely a stage that everybody goes to. And I'm certain that even our Gen Z listeners, even our younger listeners, there are some of you out there who will have a moment of thinking, is it better that I don't exist? Is it, will it be easier for the people around me that I don't exist? Particularly, I mean, all queer people, but also, you know, queer people of color, but all queer people, there, there will be a moment at some stage where you'll think this is hard because regardless of what the world looks like, we know that things can change so suddenly. We know that we have to be vigilant because things change. We Look at what's happened in the States with Roe Ro v. Wade. Like, that is... Yeah that is in itself an atrocious moment, but it is also going to precipitate the change in same-sex marriage laws. Count my words, it's coming. So we know that our, you know, portions of our identity can be stripped from us without any power because we are still a minority. And because of that, we feel this way. We feel like perhaps it's better that I'm not here. Perhaps it's better that I don't be in this space. Perhaps it's better that I don't exist in my culture, but I suppose, what I want to say, what we'd like to say to you is that you are valuable in this world. The world does need you. The world does need your voice. We are a special culture of people. And we also have the autonomy and the authority, the strength, the intelligence, and the lived experience to take what we have learned in queer culture back into the cultures of our birth. And some of those things include acceptance, includes inclusivity, includes love. It includes the idea of creating family. It includes the idea of breaking down barriers and walls and having open and honest and hard conversations. It includes being funny. 
and using humor to get through life. These are these are the things, you know, the world can be quite an ugly place, but these are the things that queer culture with all of its problems does teach us. And these are the things that we can feed back into the cultures of our birth so that we can heal the Joel who decided to do that. We can heal the Fuzz who decided that he was you know, that was not going to acknowledge anything and was just going to get through life. It doesn't matter. If you are queer, you will experience trauma in your life. It's as simple as that. But know that now having gone through that, we're on the other side. And the other thing is, even though we're on that side, we're still fighting every single day for various things, various rights, various acceptance. However, if you do feel that and you are at that point where, you know, like me, you felt like you feel like you, it's better if you don't exist. Just know that there's so much more after that waiting to happen. And I can tell you firsthand when you accept yourself and accept being queer, it is so fucking interesting. It's fun. It's fun. It's like, so what the fun. fuck? Why would I want to wear black suits and kind of like be so fucking boring when I can wear a fuck you chain, colorful, I have my hand gestures everywhere. It's fun. It is fun. And there's so much more planned for you after that. So don't feel like that is the end all be all because it was not. Look at how much I would have missed out on. Mm. I would have not met her. I am fantastic. <laughs> and I think that also, just quickly, before we end this, you know, the intersectionalities of that as well. There are toxicities also within queer culture that we need to get past. So this is not to say that our culture is wonderful. I think that we need to work on it as well. You know, we need to be more accepting, for example, for gay men of, of people who are femme, people who are fat, people who... Um, who are differently identifying and wherever sexually you sexually identified as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all these different things of color, people need yes. to, I think that it's important that as a culture, we move towards broader acceptance within ourselves because you know what? Nobody else is going to accept us if we don't do it for ourselves. And you got to be that person. So whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you are, if you are queer, you know, if you're queer of any description, whatever color you are, white, black, brown, Whatever you are, if you're fat, if you're skinny, if you're a gym bunny, whatever, you know, if you have a different ability, if you're on the spectrum, we're all on the spectrum. I think that <laughs> you got to understand that who you are in this moment is the person that you were made to be so that you can make a difference in this world. So you do that, honey, and share your stories with us because exactly. we want to hear. Write to us, Instagram us, DM us. TikTok us. Is that a thing that people uh, do? <laughs> too much. we got to go and liven up our TikTok. But yes, put it under the comments. We're reading every single one. And we want to hear more stories because we eventually want to be able to share more stories. We want to get your discussions out there as well. We want to be able to unpack it. Um, this is about all of us. This is not just about two of us sitting here. We want to have these conversations. So go follow Fags in Fendi and let's create this conversation. A hundred percent. We're looking forward to hearing from you and for, to sharing your stories. Until next time. See you again, sister. Bye, darling. Bye.